Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. Thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media. This episode, we are discussing women in the emergency management field, and our guests today have a wealth of knowledge and experience. That's right, Omar. We have a panel of experts. Here with us today are Samantha Phillips, Director at the National Center for Security and Preparedness at SUNY Albany, and former Director of Philadelphia Office of Emergency Management. We also have Marianne Tierney, who is the Regional Administrator for FEMA Region 3. And last but not least, we also have New York City Emergency Management Deputy Commissioner for External Affairs, Christina Farrell. It is an honor to sit down and chat with all of you today about your experience in the field. Uh, As I said, as we mentioned, we have a regional administrator, uh, former directors as well, and deputy commissioner. So my first question, Christina, I'm going to ask you, what sparked your interest in the field and how did you get started? Uh, Well, thank you for having us here today. Thank you for being here. I came over to the Office of Emergency Management. Actually, tomorrow is my 15-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Started March 3rd, 2003. I was doing grants in the mayor's office, and uh, a new mayor was coming in, so it was time to make a change. And I had worked, um, I was working in the mayor's office when 9-11 happened, and I worked on the grants fundraising side uh, for about a year, a little more after that. And so I had um, worked at the pier, worked with people from emergency management and other agencies, and so it um, was kind of a natural extension of some of the work I'd done after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to enter a new field. Sam, how about you? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, my story is a little bit of kind of circumstance or happenstance. I decided to do a year of service after undergraduate with the American Red Cross in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I'm originally from New York, so that was kind of a, a new community and a new experience. And, you know, I, I really just enjoyed uh, working with a community and, and doing a year of service responding to disasters. I spent some time in Florida and then, you know, many local emergencies in the New Orleans community. And um, that's how it all started. Wonderful. Uh, Marianne? Great. Well, thanks for having me here today. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to participate in the podcast. Um, When I was in college, I did uh, a lot of different internships. I went to school in Washington, D.C., and um, I interned uh, with the Federal Election Commission, and I interned with D.C.'s Emergency Management Agency, and I interned with FEMA. And uh, I really liked the internships that I did in emergency management. I thought they were different, and it mixed... Uh, policy work with field work, and that was uh, something that I was interested in. And uh, then when I graduated, I came back to New York City because that's where I uh, was born and raised, and I found a job with New York City OEM. And it's been really great since. So can you um, each share with our listeners your experience in the field, um, how you got to where you are today? Um, Christina, we'll start with you. Uh, So like I said, I've been here just about 15 years now. And um, we've had a lot of emergencies during that time. <laughs> um, I expanded my role. I started. I came over here as the grants director and was working. It was just when uh, the Urban Area Security Initiative, Homeland Security, uh, became an agency a couple days before I actually started here. And so there was a lot of uh, movement, setting things up, getting you know, getting the different agencies together. Um, and then over time, I uh, we were able to put together create an external affairs division and bring in um, the Ready New York program, our community emergency response team volunteers, the public-private work, uh, communications, press, all of the things that come into external affairs. And uh, we've just continued to grow. We're about 30 people strong now in external affairs, which uh, is great. And um, as Sam said, a lot of it is really the work with the community, um, you know, before, after, and during an emergency, um, whether it's local, like a building collapse or something like that, or citywide, pretty much how Sandy was. We all, um, I live in the city, I'm raising my family in the city. And so being able to help New Yorkers during a really vulnerable time is, is really rewarding. Sam, how about you and and how you got where you are today? Yeah, so I uh, studied public health in graduate school. After working with the Red Cross, I 
wanted to kind of broaden that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when I finished graduate school, I also went to school in, in Washington, D.C., like Marianne. Uh, we actually went to the same college. And I decided to apply for jobs in cities I thought would be both fun to work in and fun to live in. And I ended up in Philly. And actually, Marianne was the director and had the opportunity to start kind of as an entry-level planner working with the city's Philadelphia's Office of Emergency Management. And um you know, wasn't quite sure what I was getting into, but decided to just kind of go along for the ride. And, you know, 10 years later, had the opportunity to um, work in a couple of different positions with Philadelphia Emergency Management and spent the last five as the director. So it was really just finding an organization that was doing some great work and and working with some wonderful people and, and just, um, you know, finding opportunities to contribute in a meaningful way. Marianne? Um, so I started uh, in New York City Emergency Management in uh, July of 1999. Actually, my first day, uh, July 19th, which I will never forget, was the was a, there was a very large power outage in Washington Heights. There were over a quarter of a million people without power, and I had been waiting a while to get hired. You know, but like any government job, it takes time. And so finally, I got a phone call. And they said, oh, you've cleared and you're, you know, you can start. And I said, oh, well, when do you want me to start? And they were like, how about tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so <Right now. laughs> I went to work that evening. I worked the night shift in the EOC and uh, it was, I was hooked. It was great. And uh, uh, working in New York City was amazing. Like I said, I grew up in New York City. My parents still live here. I still have a lot of family here. And it was like Christina said, really rewarding to help New Yorkers when they needed help most, right? Um, and then I had an opportunity to go to Philadelphia and be the director um, and that was a really great job. I did that for about four years, and we had a great team, and we kind of rebuilt the emergency management function in the city. And um, uh, and then it was really exciting to see Sam get promoted as the director when I left. That was nice because it's always good to have you know homegrown talent uh, take over something and be able to kind of continue all the good work that was happening. And I went to FEMA, and I've been at FEMA now for uh, almost eight years. And uh, FEMA's gr- a great job. We've been really busy this past year in particular. Um, but FEMA is uh, on a much larger scale. You're helping people, again, when they need help most. And uh, uh, FEMA's allowed me a lot of opportunities to be able to help people and have influence in emergency management policy. And that's it's very rewarding. I mean, it's kind of funny hearing Marianne's story about the day that you started. Um, I actually started at New York City Emergency Management nine days before Hurricane Sandy. And I felt the same way that it took, you know, a while for the process to go to, you know, get hired. I remember I left my job. I was only away from, you know, my old position to come here for maybe about four or five days. I had a nice long weekend. And then I came in and then it was nine days later. It was, okay, we're activating our EOC. Okay, these are your plans. Okay, Allison, now go. And it was my trial by fire. So we kind of joke around about that. But I honestly think it was the best way to learn is to really just like dig your heels in and, you know, get involved and get started. And you're still here. So that's a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when we look at events like 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina, um, especially the latter, which have really shaped the emergency management field in this century. Uh, can you take us back to emergency management then, uh, pre-Hurricane Katrina especially, and then where we are now today? Um, I started in emergency management in 1999, which was, I guess, a very long time ago. <laughs> it was 19 years or so almost. And um, uh, things were were different, right? You know, we had a lot less technology. The internet was not as prevalent as it is now. No one was walking around with a computer in their pocket, you know, so it was still using pagers and cell phones weren't as advanced as they are now. So uh, in terms of technology, it was a lot less sophisticated. Um, I think the fundamentals of emergency management are still the same. Mm-hmm. I think how we execute emergency management is is very different, right? So, you know, we were, you know, we shelter people, uh, we write plans for different kinds of emergencies. We certainly did that back then, and we do that now. I think some of the bigger events that have happened since 1999 have certainly helped us think about how to scale up our response um, and also to think about how to better integrate the public into what we're doing uh, and making them a partner in the response mm-hmm. and, and recovery as opposed to people that just take direction from government. I think we've evolved that a lot. And I think the use of technology has really helped us um, make better decisions, uh, be aware of what's happening, especially the you know the emergence of social media has really helped with that. And uh, Twitter plays a huge role in emergency response. And 
uh, disaster response now. So I think the fundamentals are the same, but I think there's a lot of things in how we execute and how we integrate and interact with our partners and the public that have changed drastically. And I like the point that you brought up about uh, community being involved because uh, we work a lot with the community here in New York City and obviously with FEMA as well. I'm sure in Philadelphia uh, with the CERT Community Emergency Response Team uh, volunteers, the CERT volunteers we call them, uh, and even now expanding to uh, work with you know houses of worship and and other integral uh, parts of communities, and so uh, I think it's it's great to see that community um, involvement has plays a, a very key role in in emergency management and, and where we are today. Mm-hmm. I think you've also seen. Um, the emergency management field become its own discipline. Right. Um, so these these big events you've talked about, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, um, Superstorm Sandy, and of course, all of the disasters from this fall, I think are going to be these um, kind of events that really define the emergency management discipline. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really becoming practitioners. Marianne's exactly right. The fundamentals haven't necessarily shifted all that much, but but the ability to integrate technology, integrate the community, um, and really kind of learn from the discipline. And I also think we're seeing this emergence of an academic community that's focused on emergency management. It used to be very much, you know, law enforcement, firefighting, public health. And we now actually have young people wanting to enter this field right out of college who are academically trained. So it's going to be this really interesting convergence of experience, um, education, um, community stakeholders. So it's it's really shifting a lot. I agree. I think also um, I was here, the first big activation I was at was the blackout in 2003. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so looking at that and then also looking at Hurricane Sandy, uh, OEM, you know, we coordinate, we go out and we would work with all our partners like the police department, fire department, um, but some other agencies, I think, um, and I know that they didn't really think that emergency management pertained to them or that they um, needed to have emergency management plans as much. Um, you know, our whole continuity of operations program, which is a large program for the city to make sure, was because after the blackout in 2003, people didn't know how to get in touch with each other. If phones weren't working, mm-hmm. right. and it was 2003, so technology wasn't where it is today. Um, but even during Hurricane Sandy, we saw a lot of technology fail. So while it's great that all this technology has happened, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, after Sandy, we had to make flyers and go stand on street corners and give people flyers. Um, so... I think there's that piece. And and so, and now there's a lot of, um, we have a fellowship here, the John Solomon Fellowship for graduate students in emergency management. And the places are, the placements are places like Department for the Aging. And people don't always think of that as an emergency management place, but they take care of some very vulnerable New Yorkers. Obviously, the Red Cross is part of that. Department of Education is a huge partner of our social services. So I think it's also expanded academically, but also just within all different disciplines that everybody realizes that they need to have a plan. They need to exercise. They need to be prepared. Now, we sort of touched upon this about how the field has evolved. Um, What are things that the public or even government um, are still learning maybe about the emergency management field um, that they should know or maybe there are things that they don't realize that emergency management actually does? So I'll start. I think that, you know, especially following this fall, there's probably a lot of thinking about what emergency management can do from a scalability and capability perspective, mm-hmm. um, just kind of being a witness to the disasters and not necessarily a participant of them. And, and hearing even the current FEMA administrator really talk about mitigation and resilience and kind of this almost as a paradigm shift in the community and really thinking more strategically about the field of emergency management and capabilities. And I think you see that with these big events. It's kind of a time to uh, kind of regroup and look at the discipline moving forward. I think the thing that I would add to that is the the thinking about how the public is a critical part of the emergency response chain, right? It's not just fire and police. You know, in most disasters, the first people that are going to help you are your neighbors, right? If it's a tornado in Kansas or a flood in the Rockaways or even a house fire, you know, somewhere in, you know, North Philadelphia – the it is your neighbor that's going to pick up the phone and likely call 911 for you if mm-hmm. you can't it's your neighbor that's going to pull that cheetah plywood off of your 
you know, your house to try to rescue you. Those are the first people coming to help you. And we need to do a better job of helping the public understand their role, their critical role, and give them tools so that they can act in that role effectively, right? So whether it's learning how to stop bleeding or learning how to turn off your gas or water service so you can prevent more damage and more destruction. Um, I think that's that's a direction we need to go in. Mm -hmm. And I think for the profession of emergency management and government in general, it, it is sometimes difficult to reconcile government's role in command and control with integrating what can often be seen as a very chaotic public response. But it's, right. it's really critical um, because in these larger, more catastrophic events, we are going to be just as reliant on our traditional 911 police fire services as we are on the public to step in and take a role. And, and I like what you mentioned about uh, the public preparation. Um, and Christina, I know you work a lot with us here in that role in trying to uh, get the public to understand the importance of being prepared and just the simple basics of uh, having a plan, knowing what you're going to do in the time of an emergency so that when the emergency comes, you're not acting on a whim, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, it's always great when we can hit home the point that preparedness is extremely important, especially in emergency management today. Mm-hmm. And we all, always talk about this continuity of preparedness going mm -hmm. from the individual to the community. Um, and people know what FEMA is, especially during disasters. Um, and they also get to know the local emergency management agencies during disasters as well. Um, but what efforts are being taken to build relationships when there aren't emergencies? Like oh, during blue, our blue sky times. The blue sky times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I can talk, obviously, about what we're doing in the city. And you've mentioned some of it. Um, we have a very big CERT program. We have over a thousand volunteers. We have volunteers out today. It's a stormy day. We have them out checking catch basins. They're very passionate, dedicated volunteers. Right. Um, and you know, the great thing about them is that they are of their community. They speak many different languages, just like all other New Yorkers. Um, you know, they've grown up in these communities. They know who the leaders are, the the elected leaders and the um, official leaders, and then also the unofficial leaders the, you know, rabbis and people like that, that can be helpful with us. And they're really ambassadors um, because, you know, we, we go out, we get paid to say these things, we work, but but they're doing this of their own time, of their mm -hmm. own volition. And a lot of them have been in a fire, um, were evacuated, you know, had to evacuate after her, during Hurricane Sandy or, um, you know, have, have been in those things so they really understand. We also, as you know, are using things like Ready Girl, Mm -hmm. Emergency management superhero who um, goes out to school and you know talks to very to kids in pre-K to young kids and makes it fun and and they understand um, that you don't need to be a superhero to be prepared. We have a a senior outreach coordinator who's seventy four who has um, you know lived a very full life and now he chooses to go out and talk to other seniors. So I think really meeting people where they are, mm -hmm. having people that understand. Um, the community and and can go and talk to them and and not overwhelming people. There's you can make preparedness your life's work, or you can do you can sign up for Notify NYC. You can pack a go bag. You can do a couple small things, um, you know, to make yourself that much better. Mm -hmm. I think the emergency management community wholesale, whether at the local, state, or federal level, have often, you know, all embraced this notion of kind of individual preparedness, right. have a go bag, know how to shelter in place and have some supplies to do that, have a plan. Um, but I think that we've started to add um, social engagement through technology, social media. I mean, I think, again, as Christina said, you know, meeting people where they are, if it happens to be through a, a smartphone, then that's a great connection point. I think we've also started to expand this community preparedness as well. So CERT program is a great example of that. Before I left Philly, and it's um, you know really thriving now, they've started Ready Community. So it's basically taking this individual concept, applying it to a neighborhood or community at large, really recognizing what Marianne mentioned is that you know neighborhoods and communities are uh, the foundation to what we do. And if we don't um, give them the tools and the opportunities to be resilient, be prepared, and really and and help first responders. Um, we're working much harder than we need to. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Great points. Uh, now, Sam, I know during your time as director of Philly's emergency management, you had the Amtrak derailment. Um, Marianne and Christina, we look at Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, uh, to name a few. The blackouts. Uh, what do you think has been your toughest? Uh, days on the job or a day on the job thus far? And we'll start with you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, Amtrak is a big event. Um, and, you know, obviously compared to um, 9-11, Superstorm Sandy, you know, I think size and scalability starts to have little meaning when you're talking about people losing lives or right. getting injured or losing their homes or that kind of thing. It, it sort of doesn't matter. In some ways, though, the big events um, have there. There's some some benefit to the big events in that they're sort of resource rich. People are very interested in getting involved and interested in helping. You kind of have a community coming together. When I think about my time in Philadelphia, it was the events that got no recognition from the media um, and really challenged communities that I think were my hardest days. And Marianne will probably remember this well from her time in Philadelphia. Is um, you know we had this operation that we used to do called a cease and vacate, and it was basically when and generally an apartment building was um, had just been so poorly taken care of that, you know, it was no longer safe for a community to live there. Mm -hmm. And is it a disaster? You know, maybe by the traditional sense, no, but to those families, absolutely. And the challenge with an event like that is you, you don't really have the resources that you have in a disaster to help these people get back on their feet and find new homes. And so I think emergency management is starting to get involved in a lot of things that don't you know, traditionally seem like disasters, right. but are because we have people who no longer have homes, they're being displaced from their communities. But again, we're trying to problem solve without the resources that we are familiar with having available to us. And those are really kind of hard and and, and really tear at your heartstrings. I think for me, you know, I've now I've been doing this uh, almost 20 years and have had been involved in a lot of very large events from you know, 9-11 to um, Hurricane Maria uh, this past November. Um, what I find in all of those events, and all of them have their own, you know, kind of individual tough points. And like Sam said, there's lots of events that don't even make the news, but emergency management is heavily engaged in or just really affecting people's lives with that single house fire that really isn't going to get, obviously not a FEMA response, but maybe even local emergency management may not be there. Those people still need as much help as the person who lost their house in a flood or a hurricane. Um, what I find the most frustrating and challenging in my work is when I can't get the programs that we deliver to integrate in a way that I know a survivor needs to get assistance. And yeah. so when I feel like we have not done that well, that's frustrating. And mm -hmm. that's, I think, a sad point for me because there is so much assistance that whether it's FEMA or a city government or a state government can provide. And a lot of what emergency managers do is navigate that bureaucracy to weave those programs together to provide a solution for the survivor. And so it's frustrating when you can't make that happen or the, uh, the laws and authorities aren't able to make that happen. And so we're always striving, I think, to do that better. That exists in every event. And that is, I think, very frustrating for any first responder or emergency manager. I'm going to just go for a specific day. I have to say the night um, that Hurricane Sandy was hitting, like the zero hour, mm -hmm. uh, because we knew it was coming, obviously, and it, you know, built up. But we knew with the European model that, like, for a week, and there was that one reporter mm -hmm. <laughs> from the Wall Street Journal who knew it was coming. And so we were planning. We were here on the weekend, of course. We were doing 24-hour shifts. And then that Monday, as Con Ed started to tell us that they were going to, um, you know, take off off different grids. And I remember I was sitting up in the emergency operations center with um, Mark Clampett, who was our director of watch command, who um, came for the fire department, had is a volunteer uh, firefighter in Long Island who had worked like 30 years. And he was just sitting there saying, I can't believe this is happening. And when you see someone like that, who's, um, you know, like this tough guy, and this <laughs> has been his life, and he's been through so many things. And when you see him sitting there, it was really just sobering. Um, and it was really the time, right? All our plans were in place. Um, we knew that there were starting to be issues with 911 and other things were happening. And you kind of then when the storm was here, you had to let it kind of let it ride. And mm -hmm. and that was, you know, a, a difficult moment to, you know, and then then after a few hours, we started coming into recovery. But that that was a really difficult evening. I don't think I'll ever forget that night at all. Because I remember doing the overnight shift for that. And like, you know, getting the reports that there are major fires in Breezy Point, that people were without power, and getting, like, you know, the different reports from, you know, 
then like hearing that hospitals had to be evacuated and it was just, you know, all like there were so many things that were going on. And even on a personal side of things, um, one of my sisters-in-law was actually at um, NYU. She had surgery to get a brain tumor removed. And she was one of the patients that was evacuated from NYU to be taken to St. Luke's Roosevelt. Um, and I remember asking our health and medical director, what else can you, besides everything else that's going on, what could you tell me about these hospitals so I know that she's going to be safe? So, like, just even hearing that, like, and also hearing, like, about Mark, about him saying, like, wow, I can't believe this is actually happening, it's sobering. Like, you don't realize, you know, the gravity of an emergency until you're actually in the thick of it. Yeah, and I, I was in an emergency management field at that point. I was uh, working the news desk um, and just being at the news desk and seeing the fires in uh, Breezy Point and the evacuations of some of the hospitals, and you're just... You're working and you're looking at it and you're just amazed and you're like, wow, this is actually happening. Um, so I can understand uh, from your perspective being in the field and, and having the plans and working to try to help those people uh, how, how you feel and, and how it hits home, close to home emotionally. Um, but, but that's what emergency management is all about. It's about trying to help people and, and to give them the resources to be able to plan and, and be prepared um, and as prepared as possible uh, before uh, the disaster strike. Mm -hmm. Now, for the question, another question for the three of you, um, you know, we were talking about like your hardest day, but what accomplishments stand out? Like a lot of times we'll say like, oh, I wish that this went better. But, you know, there has to be, you know, one day or maybe even five days that you say, wow, this went really, really well. This was a, this was a great success for us. I'm really proud of what I was able to do in this field. So from an event perspective, I mean, I think having Amtrak, the papal visit, the Democratic National Convention and a stretch of about 16 months time is sort of just a, a chunk of my life that I am generally proud of. Um, but I think outside of specific events, you know, I'm really proud of the team that I was able to work with in Philly and had a part of building. And, you know, even now I've been gone nearly a year and I follow them uh, pretty closely. Mm -hmm. um, and just to even see how that team is continuing to grow and do these amazing things and even see how, um, you know, people internally are being promoted. And, you know, it's a recognition of their, their work and commitment and dedication to this field. So I think those are my proudest moments to see that personal growth and achievement in the field, particularly when we're talking about, you know, young women. Um, you know, there are, we, we have a watch commander and Philly OEM that was just promoted to be the program manager. And, you know, just seeing that from afar is, you know, a really amazing, um, you know, proud moment for me, certainly not my accomplishment, but I, I feel so, so pleased for her and really just proud of that development. Marianne, how about you? Yeah, I think for me, uh, there, I think there's three things I'll offer. Um, so when I worked in New York City emergency management, I was uh, in charge of planning. And before I was in charge of planning, I was a planner. So I'd spent most of my time in New York City emergency management doing planning work. And as a planner, you know, you write these plans and you have all these meetings and people don't come to the meetings or they don't <laughs> do what you ask them to do after the meeting. And so planning can be very tedious and frustrating. And I remember we had, we developed these little field guides for some of our plans. We did one for the heat plan and one for the power outage plan. And uh, they were like little pocketbooks that you could walk around with. And I remember we had a heat event and everybody brought their plan with them. <laughs> and uh, all the agencies had it. And we used it and it worked. And I was really proud of that because we had actually developed something that our stakeholders were using and was helping them do their job better. And so that was really rewarding. And um, to build off what, what Sam was saying about Philly OEM, I'm very proud of the time that I spent there. Um, we worked really hard as a team to rebuild and reinvigorate emergency management in Philadelphia. And I also still, you know, I've, I haven't worked there for uh, uh, seven, seven plus years now. I still follow them very mm -hmm. regularly. Also, I live in Philadelphia, so I'm heavily vested <laughs> in the success of emergency management. And uh, all of their successes make me so proud of the work that we did at the very beginning when, um, you know, when it was a lot harder, it was less resources, a smaller team. And I feel like, you know, we all, Sam included, you know, even those very early days, did, did a lot to set conditions so that success could continue. And that's very rewarding. And then I think personally, um, 
like I said, I've been with FEMA now almost eight years. I was deployed to Puerto Rico for about a month in November. And I think that's some of the most rewarding work I've ever done, period. Um, helping survivors directly. I was in charge of FEMA's individual assistance operation. And I felt uh, a sense of urgency that I hadn't felt in a very long time about the things I did in this hour, in three hours, were actually going to affect survivors and getting out and talking to survivors and getting the team motivated and really coalescing around some some really important things that we were working on was really rewarding. And so that uh, was reinvigorating for me in emergency management. I'm really ex happy that I was able to do that and help people, and, and I'm really proud of that work. Uh, I think it's a little similar here. It's When I came to OEM, it was 60 people, and now it's about 240. Um, like I said, we created the External Affairs Division, and so really seeing the growth of the field, but then also seeing the growth here, moving into our headquarters. When I first started, we were uh, in a warehouse under the Brooklyn Bridge, hoping things didn't fall off the bridge, literally, <laughs> onto us in our cars. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it's really, like you said, people get degrees now in emergency management. Yeah. Um, everything is much more institutionalized, um, you know, which is good and, and speaks to the field. I'll also say within external affairs, what I'm, I'm really proud of is our team um, and kind of our entrepreneurial spirit. Um, we just did a winter weather video using a stand-up comedian. That's not, I think, something most people would go to right. in a, a linear sense for um, how are we going to talk about winter weather. But, you know, it, it's about um, keeping it fresh. I mean, how many times can you tell people, uh, you know, how to bundle shovel and, and how to bundle <laughs> up and, you know, how to la wear layers? Like, and, you know, in New York, I mean, it's hard to get attention, right? It's hard when there's not an emergency. Getting um, the press and, and getting people to talk about emergencies is, is really difficult. And um, like I said, we have a, a superhero. And, and this came from the staff up. This uh, None of these are my ideas. Um, but, you know, knowing as a manager when to, you know, what ideas might be a little far flung and what other ideas you could really take and run with it. And, right. um, you know, I'm I'm proud of that. And I, I will say personally, you know, we're happy to have you here uh, leading us um, on the external affairs team. I'm part of your external affairs team. And just knowing that we can come to you with those different ideas. And I mean, the podcast, obviously, we have an emergency management podcast now. Um, and knowing that we can come to you with these ideas and, you know, you'll point us in the right direction uh, for me is uh, heartwarming. And, and we appreciate that. Yep. I have to second that, too. <laughs> um, so, Sam, you're now working as director at the National Center for Security and Preparedness at SUNY Albany. Um, what is your new role like and how is it different from being a director for the Philadelphia Office of Emergency Management? It's entirely different. Uh, I'm no longer providing kind of hands-on work with the community, which I, which I miss and certainly a downside of the new position. Um, I am working with uh, first responders very closely, um, mm -hmm. and we develop a lot of curriculum and deliver training to first responders. And then also working with students has been really wonderful, and obviously working with um, some some really elite faculty members and kind of you know getting involved in their research. And the college itself, the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity, is the first in the nation. It was actually started at. Um, in partnership with Governor Cuomo after Superstorm Sandy, really recognizing that um, the impact to New York and right. and needing to you know make sure that we were doing everything possible as a community and a discipline to be better prepared for those things, including at the academic level. So it's completely different. Um, I miss my old life tremendously, but mm -hmm. I'm really trying to kind of embrace just a different experience for a period of time. And um, and working with students is incredibly rewarding. Just how uh, passionate and interested they are in learning the field and getting involved. It's um, it's it's really wonderful to see that um, rigor and and commitment to an emerging discipline. And I like the fact that you brought up the students and and everyone has kind of mentioned how uh, there are more people who are actually studying emergency management today than there was in the past. So my question for for you, Sam. And for anyone else who may want to chime in, you know, what do you say to, to those students? You deal with them directly uh, about uh, their endeavors and wanting to get into the field. So I say a couple of things. One, I, it's wonderful that we have academic programs, but that's not it. That's not enough. Um, right. So we really need a combination of some academic and maybe perhaps formal training, but 
you need experience as well and you need to be involved. Um, so I teach uh, a couple of courses at the university. And what I say to my students on the first night is, let's be present. You know, we have three hours together once a week to just be really engaged and to learn from one another and to be, uh, to, to, to be, you know, knowledgeable about the field, to um, learn the discipline, jump on Twitter, see what people are saying, just become a, you know, well-informed part of the emergency management community. Mm -hmm. Um, So come to class, do your work, but also get involved, whether it's, you know, volunteering, internships, um, Saturday mornings, installing smoke smoke detectors in people's homes, all of that helps. And it's a complete package to make somebody an emergency manager. So just switching gears here, um, you know, we spoke with uh, Sam about her, you know, shift from working as director of Philadelphia OEM, now working um, at SUNY Albany. Um, Marianne, what would you say um, is your region's biggest strengths and challenges in terms of emergency management? As FEMA Region 3 administrator, you cover a lot of different territories, um, and you could probably speak to that. I'm really curious to uh, get your perspective. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the first thing I'll say about our strengths is that we have a really great team. You know, we've got, uh, there's about 225 people that work in FEMA Region 3, and uh, we've worked really hard to help them be prepared for the worst day we're going to have in the region, whether that's a hurricane or some other event. So in emergency management, it is all about the people. Um, And we have really good people. So I think that's a huge strength for us. Um, We also have a great larger emergency management team. We have really engaged state emergency management directors in the region who are very progressive in their thinking and and want to work together as a team. And that makes the job a lot easier, right? When everybody is rowing in the same direction, that makes everything easier to do. Uh, I think some of our challenges are we have a lot of hazards that could happen in the region, you know, and and a lot of different circumstances for people, right? We've got uh, Philadelphia, which is the largest city in the region. We've got the national capital region with all of its historic sites, and it's the seat of government. Um, And then we've got, you know, the hollers of West Virginia, right? And so there's a lot of different... uh, hazards that can be impacted. There's different populations. There's different population density. And so kind of navigating all of that uh, during a, during any event is challenging. Uh, in, in our region, our whole region could be impacted by a single event. So for example, uh, if a nor'easter is occurring, we could have coastal flooding and coastal erosion and inland power outages from the wind, right? And we've got to be able to kind of mix and match all of that uh, and kind of stay on top of everything. So I think those are some of our strengths and challenges. And Christina, I mean, New York City emergency management is obviously in the home of the biggest city in the country. Um, What would you say the strengths and challenges are for us? I think that actually the strength of New Yorkers as um, as people living in the city is is both an asset and a challenge mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, like just people's daily commute, they can view as a disaster. And people have <laughs> said that <laughs> <laughs> over the last few months, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, people are used to getting around in the city. If, if the train isn't working, they're going to take a bus or they're going to walk or they're going to call an Uber. They're, they're used to being quick on their feet and... Um, you know, getting through it, which is great. And, and that um, resiliency is, is really important. But that also can stand in the way of people getting prepared and, and people planning ahead because they're used to getting through things. And, um, you know, we're here to make it not be so difficult to, to mitigate that, to help them. Um, so, you know, that that is, um, I think, plays on both sides. I think another thing is just, you know, the immigrant nature, the the transient nature sometimes of the city, people moving in and out, coming from other places, making sure that we can uh, meet everybody. You know, like we were saying, meeting people where they are, not everybody is going to go. Um, you know, if we put up a Ready New York night or something, that that's not what people want to do. You know, they, they want us to come to them. Um, and then also sometimes people have a, a negative view of government. They've left where they lived because of what was going on in their country. So the first thing they want to do when they come here is not get more advice from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, can be a big challenge. That is why CERT, our community volunteers, are so important. That's why making our materials available in their native language so they can can read it and understand, um, you know, those I think are, are really important and can be some challenges. Now the question that all of our listeners uh would be interested to hear the answers to this. And uh, Marianne, I'm going to start with you. 
As an emergency manager, uh, what keeps you up at night? Well, I can tell you as a mom, my five-year-old keeps me up at night. <laughs> I have to second that. <laughs> not, not much as an emergency manager keeps me up. I get that question a lot. And right. I think, you know, um, for me, the things that concern me are – Will we be late to need, right? By that I mean, will we recognize that something is happening where we can change the outcome and be positioned to do that timely? And so we're very focused on being ready, right? And being aware of what's happening around us and being positioned so if somebody needs help, we're there with the resources when they need them and we're not late in making that happen. So that's something, I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but it's something that I'm constantly cognizant of and working towards. Um, I think the more traditional answer to that question is the the event that causes me the most pause, we actually just saw this summer, which is a very long duration power outage, and right. especially in, you know, and this is something, you know, we've talked about for, for quite some time in, in emergency management. If you don't have power, everything is just harder, right? It's harder for people. It's harder to deliver an effective response. It's harder to recover. And I think we had a really... Uh, a uh, profound event in Puerto Rico in terms of the power outage that's still ongoing. I mean, there are still people to this day in Puerto Rico that do not have power and have not had power since Hurricane Irma. And uh, and there's a lot of effort to make that, to make that better, um, but they're still not going to have power for quite some time. And I, and I think in our society where everything is connected to the internet and, uh, and, and and our reliance on power and everything else that power gives us uh, is something that we have got to be better prepared for. That is a catastrophic event. And um, it's something that has spawned a lot of the cascading human requirements, human need in Puerto Rico is the lack of power. So I think that's a lesson that we all need to examine and, and take heed and, and be prepared as individuals, as communities, and, and as the government. We have got to look at the, uh, at the power outage as a, as, a, as a lesson that we need to, to learn and, and really think about. Christina, how about you on the New York City um, side? I have to say uh, no notice events. Those are the things that, um, you know, I think really are – could be – Obviously, so tough. Um, you know, if we're looking at, I mean, obviously, nine uh, eleven happened here last fall. We had the events on Halloween and at uh, the Port Authority, which um, you know were horrible, but could have been much, much worse. Um, and I think you know everybody in the city, whenever something happens, that everybody freezes for one second and wonders, is this terrorism? Is this going to be the next nine right. eleven? Um, you know, and then also just along with that, though, in the last few years, um, we unfortunately had the East Harlem building explosion. The year after, we had the East Village explosion, where, as Sam noted, um, you know, it was much less. We were lucky, actually, that it, the loss of life was smaller than it could have been, but it still tore families apart and, right. um, you know, ended lives tragically. And so, um, you know, those no-notice things, um, you know, those really, because you don't know when the next one's coming, you don't know how the scale of it who it's going to affect. So, um, you know, that for me is the greatest challenge. Sam, from the academic perspective, I guess. <laughs> Very little in academia keeps you up at night. I will say that. That's Grading been, the, yeah. that, that's been the, the best part of this change. Um, but I think, you know, if you're part of this field, you're always just thinking about it. And so, you know, for me, I think about the organization I'm currently running and are we running as efficiently as possible? Are we running as smoothly as possible? And then certainly in Philly, I think it was just, you know, could we be ready, you know, at all times? And, um, you know, emergency management, we've all talked about the size of organizations still relatively small, you know, FEMA being 200 plus people, New York City being 200 plus people, Philly was 30 people. Um, so so bigger than they were, but, but still really small. And so thinking about how to manage a workforce when something really significant happens, given that, um, you know, 200 is small, and you're not even going to have probably all 200 available at once. Right. Absolutely. Um, where do you see emergency management in this country in the next five years? So I, you know, Marianne and Christina have talked about a few of them, you know, I think the continued 
immersion and growth of technology will be huge. Uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence. I mean, we're really just scraping the iceberg when we, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg when we think about technology, you know, social media, like we think that's cutting edge and, and interesting. And it's probably not really when you, when you think <laughs> about, um, you know, what can be done from a technological perspective. Um, but I think also just this, um, you know, also, you know, stronger partnerships with the private sector when you're thinking about supply chain and um, logistics operations. I think, you know, government's been trying to do a lot of that um, themselves in, in some cases. And I, I think that there might be these really interesting partnerships that are born out of things like, you know, the, these extended longer term catastrophic power outages that Marianne was describing and really just trying to kind of rethink business practices. I'm so glad you asked that question because I've been finding I've been looking for a way to talk about FEMA's priorities without sounding like a bureaucrat. <laughs> and um, so uh, we have a new administrator, Brock Long. He uh, has been doing a phenomenal job getting us through the hurricanes of 2017 and getting us ready for hurricane season 2018, which is less than 100 days away. Uh, not that I'm counting or anything. <laughs> not that any of us are counting. <laughs> and, and he has three three priorities, and and for me they're easy to talk about because they're you know they're they're priorities that I that I share as well. And I think in the next five years they're not just priorities for FEMA. I think these are things that the profession should be looking at. So the first one is building a culture of preparedness. Right? How do we help people be more prepared? for events when we know they're going to be the first people that respond to them. And so I think that if we can get the profession, the community to take hold of that, I think that will be a big game changer for us in the next five years. The second priority is being ready for catastrophic disasters. And, uh, you know, obviously that's born from the trial by fire that he went through with this past hurricane season. But I think that's something FEMA has been looking at for a long time. I think larger emergency management community has been looking at. So what can we do to be ready for those most severe events? Um, and we get very bogged down in the smaller events and the medium-sized events. And that eats up bandwidth to be thinking about and planning and preparing for these bigger events. So how do we get focused on America's worst day? Um, or New York's worst day, or Philly's worst day. We've got to get focused on that because that's going to make us better when that day comes. And then the third thing is simplifying FEMA. So we, inside of any federal agency, I'm sure just like I worked in New York City, very big government, lots of process, lots of bureaucracy, lots of programs. So how do we make everybody's interactions with FEMA simpler, right? So survivors don't have to go through multiple housing inspections uh, so that when you, uh, as another government agency, are interacting with FEMA, that that is a smoother, simpler experience. And I think that will also change uh, not just the community, but, but but survivors, right? Helping survivors, making it easy for them to access services when they don't have the bandwidth to navigate a Byzantine bureaucracy. I think that's really going to be a, change, a game changer for us as well. Um, I think in New York, it's, you know, it's continuing our focus on non-English speakers, on the vulnerable populations, getting our message out. Um, right now, you can get notify NYC messages in 13 languages, but you have to navigate some English to get to that um, second language. You know, within a year and a half, you will be able to get messages in real time um, straight in, you know, one of six languages, which will be great, and, and really getting to those populations. So I think that as we're able to grow, which has been great for us, we're, like Sam said, we're always going to be relatively small. Um, but, you know, each person that we bring on, I feel like they can train 10 people and then they train 10 people, you know, it just keeps going. And so, you know, I, I think just in, like I said, all the other agencies, you know, our fellowship, all the things we're doing to define emergency management and to get it out um, so that people actually know we exist and what we do, that, that really is going to help the city as we prepare. It's a wonderful conversation that we're having uh, here, uh, just looking at women in emergency management, where we've been uh, in the field in the past and, and how we look to the future. Um, our last question here, is there anything else that you would like to add uh, to our listeners about the emergency management field about your experience? Uh, I would just say I, you know, personally, it, it's been very rewarding for me. I think one thing, and people have asked me this, I have four kids now, and my husband works. And, um, you know, they say, how do you manage all of that? And mm -hmm. I think that emergency management is actually a really flexible field. 
there's, for better or for worse, there's overnights, as everybody has alluded to. There's midnight shift. There's weekends. There's things like that. And so, like, after Hurricane Sandy, I mostly worked midnight shifts, which was, you know, maybe difficult for me personally, but for my family to be there when my kids came home from school, to actually see my husband once in a while, um, you know, that that really worked well for, for me. I think also technology, um, you know, being able to run conference calls from home, be able to log on and do things. I mean, emergency management is an all-encompassing field. So, um, you know, having the tools to make it easier to do the work remotely, you know, that has been really helpful. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, a great field that, that people um, should check out. Sarah? Um, I would say get involved. And, you know, Christina started in the mayor's office working on grants. Marianne is a policy person. Um, and, you know, I came, started from kind of a public health background, and we all found ourselves in this discipline at some point in our lives. And, you know, my advice would be um, join, get involved, especially, you know, young women. Um, it's so great to see the field diversifying. Um, and emergency management can also be um, an intro to other other really interesting disciplines as well. You know, I always, you know, when I was trying to recruit people in Philadelphia, I said, you know, if you want to work in local government at some point in your life, emergency management's a great way to get into local government because you get to meet so many different stakeholders and partner with people. Um, You know, it's, you, you touch a lot of different parts of government, community, private sector. So it's a really great, um, just uh, opportunity to kind of network and, and, and get involved. Yeah, and I think I'll add to what Christina was talking about. I think um, it's certainly not a nine-to-five job, I will say that, but there are a lot of flexibilities um, in terms of being able to work remotely and, uh, you know, do things at home and work, like, work the midnight shift but be home for your kids. It's certainly there. Um, I think you know, I have a son. He's five, he's five and a half. Uh, my husband is, you know, very supportive. He obviously he works too. Um, you know, I think you need to have a support network in any job, right? If you're a woman or a man, frankly, in any job, and you have a family and kids and responsibilities, you need to have a support network, and you need to, you know, have a really good partnership. And that's been very helpful to me professionally. Um, and so I I think that's that's really important. And I think um, you know it is. I think women sometimes are put off by quote unquote public safety. And I think emergency management is a really great place uh, for women and men to work together and to build the skills that um, that you need to work anywhere, whether it's in local government or you want to go in the private sector. The skills are very transferable. A lot of the fundamentals of emergency management are things that would make you successful at any job, right? Like facilitating a meeting or being able to provide uh, a briefing to somebody. Those are things you've got to do in any job. So I always tell people, if you want to learn how to be successful in any job, come be an emergency manager because that's what will make you successful no matter where you go. So. Wonderful. Yep. I think all of this has been really um, insightful and very inspiring, especially as a woman in emergency management as well. Um, sorry, Omar. I know that you can probably you can empathize in you're different ways, today. but you know you're outnumbered. But that's okay. That is okay. Um, but oh. we really appreciate you all taking the time to speak with us and to uh, share these insights with our listeners too. Yeah, there's a lot that I've learned uh, just chatting with all of you, and so I thank you for everything that you've done in the field, and um, look forward to more years in emergency management myself, working with uh, Christina. Uh, so one day we're all going to work for Marianne. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the opportunity. This was really wonderful. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Great. Thank you. That's this edition of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared. <laughs>